be made conformable to his death. It's the whole thing, Lord. <laughs> if we're going to know you, we will know a power that we have never experienced before, but we will also sometimes know suffering. But all of it allows us to connect with you on a deeper basis and to reach people. And so as we surrender this morning, we lay aside our agenda. We lay aside what we want. And we say, Lord, whatever you want, let your will be done. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning to you. It's uh, always great to uh, be back. Um, thankful to Pastor Court and Candace for the opportunity to uh, be with you all. This is a special place. Y'all know that? It is. Um, doesn't it look beautiful up here? I'm, I'm not a part of that. But I mean, the tree and the seconds, right? Boy, the weather's perfect for it, too, isn't it? Welcome to January here suddenly. But glad you made it out to the house of God today. Um, I think the Lord has some good things for us this morning. Again, if, if you're meeting me for the first time, my name is Matt Anderson. And uh, the Lord has given me a ministry to do called Monumental Ministries based on the Lord wanting to build landmarks and monuments in our life that we can come back to and remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. That's what we try to do in this ministry. We do that a number of ways, and you can look more on, on my website at mapministry.com, and there's books for sale there, and they're also on Amazon. If you if that's more your speed, um, we'd love for you to partner with us. Uh, another way I do that is through podcasting. Um, I have a podcast called MapCast. It's all one word, and we speak directly to creative Christians, and uh, just encouraging you and your gift in different ways to get out there and make stuff. Make stuff for Jesus. Uh, latest episode this week dealt with the life of the artist Rembrandt. So if you'd like to know some stuff about him you've probably never known before, subscribe for free on all the major platforms. This morning I'm going to be uh, referring to John chapter 8. We're going to look at a, a scripture in John chapter 8 in just a moment. For about 10 years, I was a fill-in pastor. I would go to a church that their pastor had left for one reason or another, and I would come in and I would sort of be there and be present on Sunday and usually a couple times a week um, and help lead the church uh, through that, that interim sort of time. Uh, and it was an amazing time of ministry. Um, but, you know, a lot of times when you're in a church, you don't know the history and you don't know things that other people know. Uh, one particular morning, I was actually at the office working there and the assistant came in and, and she said, there's a gentleman here who needs to speak to a pastor. Now, in, in my world, that is code usually for he probably has a financial need. Uh, and it's just from 30 years of experience. That's usually what happens. And you say, well, okay, well, bring him on in. And uh, this, uh, this 
gentleman, I'd say in his early 40s, came in and, and he began to tell me his story that he was a uh, uh, he was an evangelist and he would go from church to church and preach wherever he could get an opportunity. He wasn't very well established, so he had to work other jobs to try to make ends meet in the midst of doing that. So he was doing some construction jobs wherever he could find them. And, uh, and he was in our town. Uh, there was a job that started the next day, but he didn't know, he didn't have any transportation. And he needed to, just a place for the night in our town so that he could get with the job crew. And the other problem he had encountered is his father, who lives in Chicago, had passed away. And the funeral was going to be in a few days, and he had no idea how he was going to get there. And as he's telling me the story, he just completely breaks down in tears. Just, he's just an absolute mess there in the office. And I am broken. And uh, now again, in my role, I don't have a lot of authority to divvy out church funds or anything. But we did have an account with a, uh, a hotel that we would bring guest speakers in. And, and so we gave him a room for the night. <clears throat> and uh, so then I took him, uh, I took him to a store because he was needing food for that evening. And I took him to a grocery store and I just used my own ATM card and gave him some money so that he would have food for the next day or two. And, uh, and we were on our way. It was pretty much all I could do in the moment. And it was about a week or two later, I was talking to my brother. My brother is also, he's a senior pastor here in Ohio. And, uh, and I was telling him this story and how wild, you know, and, and just heartbreaking it was. And my brother said, yeah, he was in my office and told me that same story one year ago. I had gotten taken. I got fooled. I got conned. And uh, it seems like these days, <laughs> there is literally an opportunity every day of our lives to get conned. Fake emails hit your inbox, texts that we've had to shut down your Amazon account, right? Click on this to fix it. <laughs> and it does everything but fix it. The phone calls. All, you know, there's so much fake in our world, isn't there? And if you've been taken, and if you've been conned, it can really mess you up, can it? It can mess you up in the head. You can imagine the poor soul who came to the church next who needed a financial... Because <laughs> I'm looking at him like, Really? Right? That's what happens to us when we get fooled, when we get conned. And we start adopting the old song by the Who, Won't Get Fooled Again, as our theme song. Another word for that is cynicism. Cynicism is sort of a condition, I would say, of the heart that can form over short and long time. Uh, and, and there's a lot of interesting definitions for cynicism. Listen, this is the best one that I found. I found this online. I wish I'd come up with this. Best definition of cynicism. An attitude of scornful 
or jaded negativity, especially a general distrust of the integrity or professed motives of others. Right, we've just come through election season, haven't we? <laughs> Do I need to add to that sentence at all? <laughs> right? How many promises are made to the voters, right, every time? If you was going to be in Washington, I'm going to and two years later, what? What did I say? You know what I mean? And we can just start to roll our eyes when people make promises anymore. Even people that we love and know. If I may, even Jesus. Because you know, life happens, doesn't it? And we go through disappointments. And we go through adversity. And at times we wonder, Lord, wasn't, wasn't there a promise, a scriptural promise you gave to me? And then something happens. And so the next time somebody like me stands up at a thing like this and tells you, thus saith the Lord, there's this little part of us that goes, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, oh yeah, I've heard that one. See, we wouldn't say that out loud, of course. And maybe we're still doing all the right things, right? We're still doing the Sunday morning thing. And we're, we're still engaging with other believers. And maybe we're even doing some kind of a devotional life. But there's kind of this thing that is calcifying our soul and causing us to go, mm-hmm. And that's cynicism. You know, cynics aren't born, they're made. And we all encounter situations in which people we believed in or trusted or trusted let us down. Some to greater degrees than others. Maybe, maybe we had a parent who never came to our events at school. Maybe we were neglected or even abused by those who were appointed to care for us. Maybe we had a leader who made a bad mistake. We, we lost someone who promised devotion to us. We got hurt in church. And the wounds of that affected our trust in everyone and everything. And for the believer in Christ, that can dangerously carry over into our relationship with the Lord. And if we're living cynical lives, it's hard to think that we can just suddenly not be cynical when it comes to spiritual matters. And I'm not saying that we're naive, that you know, we're, we're uh, living with no boundaries or, or no idea of, of uh, who belongs and who doesn't in our life or having proper wisdom. Cynicism, though, is corrosive to the heart, and it robs us of belief in almost anything, including God's goodness. To everyone in this room, I want you to know that the goodness of God is under attack in your life every day. And John 8, Jesus has to confront this very issue with his own people, the Jews, his own countrymen. And they were inclined to think that what Jesus said was true, but cynicism was seeping into their hearts so that they couldn't fully devote themselves to him. So let's look at this passage in John chapter 8. 
down on this phone number, by the way, just a little bit. John chapter 8, we're starting at verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father. But you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied. For if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. You are imitating your real father. They replied, we are illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Do you see that sentence? Let me read it again. Your cynicism. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. That's a tough Sunday morning, ain't it, folks? Do we really believe Jesus when the numbers aren't working out? Do we really believe Jesus when loved ones are making bad choices? Do we really believe Jesus after we've been diagnosed? We must fight against cynicism and believe again. That's the title of my message this morning. So here's the question I throw out to you this morning. How do we root out cynicism and believe again? If we have found ourselves rolling our eyes even at the words of Christ, how do we root this thing out? Number one, we realize our need of Jesus. Boy, everything begins right there. We realize our need of Jesus. Look, nobody likes to be in need. That's not, I can't remember the last time I prayed for that. <laughs> it's nothing we naturally sign up for, but spiritually, life absolutely begins with needing Jesus. In verse 31 of our text, 
Jesus says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Other versions use the word abide, kind of like to live in. It's remaining, staying put. And remaining is not a one-time thing. It's a regular decision. It's an everyday thing. Remain, remain, remain. I need Jesus, therefore I must stay. I must remain with him and in him. So we need to spend time reading and studying and memorizing and living the word of God. We need to live in the teachings of Jesus. We need to constantly be learning new things. And that's partly why we come here to God's house, to receive teaching, to have truth reinforced, to learn new things. Embrace uh, scriptural principles and then adjust our lives around that. Folks, the Bible doesn't need to fit my lifestyle. My lifestyle needs to fit around the Word of God. We need Him this morning. It's within this context that Jesus says His very famous words, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free, right? That was... Uh, that's been part of great speeches that weren't even in church. And it's not that truth sets us free. Catch this. It's knowing the truth that sets us free. Jesus said you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. I need Jesus daily. I ponder, I meditate on his instructions and his teachings. Then I will know the truth. Not my truth, not your truth, not his truth or her truth or its truth. The one and only truth will set us free. the less we need him, the less we will believe him. 
So daily we have to realize our need of Jesus. Number two, we remember who freed us. Capital W. We remember who freed us. Another famous line here in this passage, did you catch it when we were reading it in verse 36? So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free, or free indeed is the more famous version of that. Real freedom only comes through Jesus. And how are we set free by Jesus? By believing. There's that great story in the book of Acts when Paul and the prisoners... The, the prison doors are shaken loose, and everyone starts to leave, and the jailer thinks, oh no, if they're gone, I'm going to get killed. And so he wants to know, how in the world can I, how in the world can I receive Christ? And Jesus says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Believe is such an important word. That's it. No money is exchanged. No sign here. Just believe in who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and your need of him. And maybe the most famous verse of the Bible that says that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's just that easy and just that hard. To an unbeliever, it all seems a little too easy. The cynicism takes over, and the eye-rolling begins. We tell them about the Lord's free offer of salvation, and the price seems too low. You know, it turns out we don't like free stuff as much as we say we do. I was youth pastoring at the time, and um, we had linked up with a, a Baptist church in town. Me and the youth pastor there were really great friends, and so we came together to do an outreach one day in our town, and they had a really nice parking lot, and so we did a free car wash. Now, not that kind of free car wash. It wasn't like take donations at the end. This was literally free, a free car wash. So we had all these stations set up, and then when it got to the end, I was there, and I had a card. Uh, that I think said something like, here's why this is free. And then on the back it explains, because for free, Jesus took away my sin and gave me a new life. And you can enjoy him too. And then we had our church information stuff on there. And so this one, this Lincoln Navigator, comes to the last station. I've got the car. They bring the window down. They're like, oh, hey, how much? And, and I, I said, actually, it's, it's a free car wash this morning. Here you go. It's totally free. No, 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 no. What's the donation, man? Just tell me. It's free, sir. It's, it's zero. It's zero. And here's why. And I'm trying. No, no, no. no. How, much, how much is it? How much is it? Free. It's free. It's free. You know what he did? He took a $20 bill, threw it out the window, and peeled out of the parking lot. I thought, man, that says a lot, doesn't it? That's how people treat the free gift of salvation. They're like, no, 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 there's a catch. There's strings attached. There has to be. We so want to earn it, don't we? 
People try all kinds of religions and academic pursuits in an effort to get to some higher spiritual place. But folks, it doesn't work. Because all the other religions of the world are built around what you have to do to get to God, whereas Christianity is about what God did to get to you. And you must believe it. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day I need to be reminded of what Jesus did on my behalf. I need to remember that I was an unholy mess headed straight for eternal destruction until Jesus came to earth and did for me what I could never do for myself. I can receive his grace today and have my heart cleansed from the sin that I still battle daily. But because of the work and blood of Jesus, I am free of the slavery of sin. Not the presence of sin, but the slavery of sin. It is no longer our master. And even as Christians, we're going to have the tendency to think we have to earn God's love. So start focusing on our ability to follow the rules. Complete the checklist. Whatever that is. We, we do the good things like pray and read the Bible and go to church and tithe because... That, that's what we think keeps us in the club. No, we do those things out of our love for Jesus and his love for us. It just becomes natural. But if we forget who freed us and we start making it about us, eventually, like tomorrow, we will fall short. Then we'll feel shame and we'll think we have to earn it to get our way back into his good graces, whatever that means, which never works and then sends us further and further away. We put ourselves in spiritual timeout and fear the Lord's disappointment and the distance can grow greater each day. To the point that we're not even experiencing his freedom at all. We will question his love for us, and eventually we may stop believing in his goodness or his promises. Because cynicism will take root. We've made this thing too hard. Just as we couldn't save ourselves, we can't keep ourselves. We need to believe in the simplicity of the gospel. Let's not make it more complicated than it is. He still loves you, my friend. Believe it. Believe it. over the years as a youth pastor and then eventually the state youth director. And, uh, you know, you would stay at one of these downtown hotels and you'd push the button, you know, and you'd have to wait on, on the elevator and wait and wait on the elevator and wait on the elevator. And eventually it would get to your floor and you're ding! And the doors would open and there were 642 teenagers on the elevator. <laughs> it opens like, wow! And then there's always my, come on, come on, you can do it, come on. 
clearly you have mad geometry. <laughs> you know, I'll get the next one. Thank you. This is how many Christians live their lives. God's like, I have so much for you, and we fill our, our hearts with other things. And we're like, woo, look, we're already full of God. Yeah, you can squeeze in. Come on, come on. God's like, I need a squeezer. Did you catch that? God ain't a squeezer. He's a filler. He fills the space. That's what he's looking for. And too often, I've got all my own stuff in my life. And I'm like, here, God, fill me up. He's like, with what? An eyedropper? He's not an eyedropper, God. He's a water hose, fire hose, God. That's how he likes to fill. Making room for God isn't God just squeezing into the backseat of a car with three people in it. It is a complete emptying out of my plans and my agenda. He won't adapt to my plan. I adapt to his. Jesus is not part of a well-rounded life. He is supposed to be our entire life. So Jesus is dealing with a tough room here in John chapter 8. And they weren't buying into his message. It was... Probably feeling like selling patio furniture to Eskimos. That's a grenade joke. Sometimes there's a delay from telling you capture joke. And he said, Some of you are trying to kill me because there's no, watch, there's no room in your hearts for my message. Have you ever dealt with somebody who was really hurting in their life? And you want to, you have a message of healing, but you can already tell there's no room in their hearts for it. And you just, in those moments, you just have to say, okay, and you sit back and just, well, God, I can only hope there's going to be an ending process. Because we can't do that for other people. Heaven knows some of us have tried. It doesn't work. And if our hearts are full of other things, we'll either try to accommodate the Lord, which doesn't work. Or will resent him because he wants to control it. <laughs> and we won't listen to him or believe anything he says to us. Because it's going to mess up our world too much. He's going to kick over our Legos and we do not want that to happen. You know, one of the great benefits of living a life in Christ is that the Holy Spirit will identify clutter in our lives that needs to be disposed of. And your clutter may not be somebody else's. And he knows the right timing. I, I can't do that. I can only bring the word of God. The Holy Spirit then goes, <clears throat> how do you know that sound? Amen. You know when the Holy Spirit does that, right? The prophetic preaching of the word, or you'll hear a podcast, or you're watching something on television or you're talking to a believer, a friend in Christ, and suddenly something is said, and the Holy Spirit goes, <clears throat> sort of the, did you catch that? Because that one was for you. And what's he doing? He's identifying clutter. He's trying to get the unnecessary out so that he can fill that spot and take more real estate in our life. <clears throat> 
This is what he's looking for. When the Lord wants to fill us, he wants an empty container. He's not just adding a couple of drops. He's filling the glass. And folks, it's all good stuff. All of it. But we can get cluttered from life. We can very subtly ingest the world's philosophy. Unhealthy habits, uh, anger, disappointment, hurt, unforgiveness, the injustices along the way that we sometimes experience. If we don't remove the clutter, Jesus won't have room to operate. We will become cynical and full of all the wrong things. And there will be no room in our hearts for his message. So hash it out with the Lord. Go with it. When he's identifying clutter, go with it. Don't do the, oh, not a good time. The holidays are here. Nah. You know, this is the moment. This is it. And then there will be room in our hearts for the Lord's message. Don't allow cynicism to decay the soul. Let's empty it out and allow Jesus to become our whole life again. Last one. Actually, that was wrong. There's two more. <laughs> I'm giving you a bonus today for free. Number four, we renounce the lies. We renounce the lies. We can't become cynical until we start believing lies. It's ironic that the only thing a cynic truly believes are lies. Specifically, I'm talking about lies related to God and ourselves. Jesus exposes the source of these lies. He has some hard words for his Jewish audience that love to say, uh, Abraham's our father. That was their little, that was their little trump card that they could always play. Hey, Abraham. Can't mess with us. Abraham. Lord's like, I don't think so. He says in verse 44, for you are the children of your father, the devil. That's a bad moment. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Verse 45. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. So when disbelieving Jesus becomes natural, we are in serious trouble. We live in a cynical world which says nobody has the right answer. That is a cynical response, masked as wisdom. Cynicism is easy. It takes no effort whatsoever. It has become trendy to be agnostic. To say, you know, we can really never know if there's a God. It is a cop-out and it's a lie. To not decide is to decide. Cynicism is easy. True belief in Jesus is hard. And we Christians can just as easily believe lies, especially when suffering occurs. The enemy is a liar. It's all he does. 
from the Garden of Eden when he told Eve if she would eat the forbidden fruit that she would be like God, to today. He can only lie, he can only deceive. He is incapable of speaking truth. Incapable of it. And his forces are looking to tempt God's people to believing wrong things. The enemy is trying to feed us a false narrative that they are desperately hoping we will agree with. And we, when we have adversity, those lies can sound believable. God isn't good. Okay, well, maybe he's good, but just not really to you. Yeah, yeah, God's love and everything, but let's just face it, he doesn't really like you so much. And we both know why, don't we? You don't know his voice. On and on. What are they looking for? They want us to agree with him. You know, there's a principle in the Old Testament that a matter was considered true on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is listed a few places in the Old Testament. This is why the Ten Commandments, it doesn't say thou shalt not lie. It says thou shalt not bear false witness. Because if you were brought as a witness to something, it was assumed they're truthful. Because if you got two of those witnesses, it was true. Okay, so what's the big deal? In your life today, there are two witnesses. You have Christ, who is telling you the truth from his word. There is the enemy, who is telling you a lie. Whoever you agree with breaks the tie. You become the second witness. And all it takes is for us to go, yeah, man, you're right. I just, I just always get the short end of the stick. Things just don't turn out for me like they do for so-and-so. From that agreement, the enemy can get a foothold in our life and mess us up. I want to hear this because right now the enemy is screaming like a banshee. Because we're exposing him right now. Jesus exposed him in John chapter 8. Because there's this storyline that plays really well in your head. And it's, it may have been there for 30, 40 years. And I'm standing up here to tell you, wrong story. False narrative. Anything less than God is good and he is good to me is a lie. Period. Exclamation point. Pick your favorite. <laughs> Anything less than that is a lie. And it's tough because that maybe that's just become the prevailing story that we tell ourselves every time something goes wrong. Ah, uh, see? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could have told you. That's cynicism. That's not just innocent little thought that flings throughout. That is a narrative by which we are living, and it must stop in Jesus' name. It must stop. We must stop this and say, no, no more. Amen. I'm going to choose to believe the report of the Lord. And we have to break that agreement. 
And some of us were raised in that, and it just became very natural to think this way. I'm not trying to dog your parents or someone that you love. I'm just telling you, there was a lie that got believed and got passed down. We just got to break that sucker in Jesus' name. We got to stop this. It's got to stop. Because it is a lie. And that's how cynicism is gone from our life. If we're like, that is a lie. And I refuse to believe that anymore. I'm going to believe that I am a cherished son or daughter of Jesus Christ. And he is good and good to me. I'm not the end of that. Lastly, we respond to his voice. Verse 47, anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. We can't believe unless we first belong. In other words, we need to be one with him. We need to be near him, with him, loving him, him loving us, worshiping him, enjoying him. And the enemy wants to sever our connection with Christ. Now that's not easily done because the Lord, the hold that the Lord has on us is strong. But what about our hold on him? Has something disturbed the relationship? Have you had setbacks? Have you been hurt? Please, I beg of you, don't take it out on the Lord. Go to him in those moments. Allow him to speak to you because he is the source of truth. He will speak into that situation even if it's just him saying, I'm still here, I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That alone is a word we can hang on while the storm is raging. Keep belonging in his presence because it makes it, makes it so much easier to hear from him and then listen gladly to his words. I can't think of a better cure for cynicism. I, I, I don't care how much scripture you know, how long you've been a Christian, what your title is, what your level of education is. All of us can receive a word from God for the season we are now in. And when we hear, we listen gladly and we respond with worship and devotion and then whatever action he commands. And if our hearts have been scarred and hardened by cynicism, Today is the day to get a word from God in order to believe again. There's a gentleman who is a, a nationally known speaker now. His name is Bob Sorge. He was a pastor at one point, a pastor and a worship leader. But in the early 90s, he developed an ulcer on his vocal cord. And the surgery to remove it destroyed his voice. He could no longer do what he was doing. He was devastated. And it almost ruined his relationship with God. But the Lord used that to provide him a new platform of ministry. And he inspires people all over the country. I want you to hear this short video from him because here he is speaking about what he considers to be the most important word in the Bible. If you're interested, I'm about to tell you the most important. 
they see it. It is blockbuster to be heard below the silver. This one heard the word this way. This one heard the word this way. This one heard the word this way. This one heard the word with a good heart. Start looking for the word here in the Bible, and it'll start popping off the page at you. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Somebody else will actually, I don't agree with that. I think the most important word in the Bible is love.
And maybe it's been a long time. And you've been living off your own advice. How's that working out for you? Jesus sees the whole picture. He knows stuff you don't know. That's what makes him who he is. He wants to drop something on you. It may not happen this morning. Maybe you just need more time. You probably will. But it, it may be a word. It may be a sentence. But I guarantee you, it'll agree with his word. It'll agree with his character. Every word from him does both of those things. And he wants to speak something into your life right now. But maybe over the years, you're just like, nah, nah, I'm not spiritual enough. Wrong. We confront that lie in the name of Jesus. In fact, Jesus, right now, I pray for this congregation. I pray that the lies of the enemy will be exposed. He has been getting away with this for too long. And he is telling Christians that they are substandard. That they are some kind of bargain basement believer who's not entitled to the same promises that you have showered us with in Scripture. We confront the lie this morning. I pray if there is a lie that we have agreed with, Lord, I can't do it for anybody in this room, but I pray that right here where they sit, they will say, Jesus, I have believed this lie about me and about you, and I am breaking that agreement today in Jesus' name. I am breaking it. I am no longer a witness to that false narrative. I will choose to believe the truth of who I am in Christ. God, I pray that this is happening all through the room this morning. That false agreements are being broken. Things that have set way too long in our lives are being torn down in Christ's name. I pray that we would believe again. there are Christians in this room who have become cynical. You can take us back to spiritual innocence again. If we believe it. Lord, we call ourselves believers. Help us to act like it. Help us to believe what you have spoken and are speaking over us. All over this room. I pray that the first thought in our mind tomorrow when we wake up is the truth of God's word and nothing else. We're going to stop believing that it's all going to fall apart. Everything's going wrong. Everything's going downhill. We're so scared of being disappointed that we have rid ourselves of joy. Lord, in Jesus' name, we break those agreements. We break them. You know what you're doing. And we do know that all things do work together.
together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. May your good be done in our lives. And Lord, as my friends do that this morning, right where they sit, if there's anyone in this room and you have not handed your life over to Christ, you have not believed in his crucifixion and resurrection, in the fact that he has already taken away your sin, he's already done it, but your belief is what makes it real. You don't have to carry this around. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't. If you will just believe in the one who already set you free, sin can yell, jump all day long, but you're done saying how high. Because the Lord is a different master who will love you and care for you like none other. And if you need to make that decision this morning and you sense the Holy Spirit is drawing you towards this, I want you just where you're seated to, to pray this to him. Just whisper this, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Give me a new life. Heal me, Lord. I believe in you. And I will follow you all the days of my life. And my friend, he will honor that prayer right now. And if you just did that, please tell someone. Tell someone here. Tell someone, a good friend, a family member, someone you came with today so that we can talk about what's next in the exciting journey of Jesus. <laughs> Congregation, let's all stand, please. We're going to seal our time in worship here. But would you do this in some way? I'm going to pray over you one more time, and especially if you just need the cynicism that can so easily develop, the rust, whatever you want to call that, if you just need that rooted out in your life, in some way that you will do something to receive this, as I pray this over you. Jesus, I pray for my friends. We pray against cynicism. We pray against unbelief. We pray against the lies of the enemy. Lord, we want to need you more and more. We want to know the truth so that the truth will set us free. And he who the Son sets free is free. Lord, break the cynicism within us. May we experience victory like never before as we hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? And worship the Lord and thank Him for what He does.
Oh,